0: You are listening to the politicalbetting.com polling matters podcast, and we are back. My name is Kieran Pedley. Um, apologies to all for the hiatus of sorts. I've been on paternity leave for the last uh, month or so. Uh, time seems to uh, sort of have less of a meaning these days. Um, so we've been watching from afar at the uh, latest uh, political developments in Westminster, and God, there's a lot to get through, isn't there? And uh, on this week's uh, podcast, We're going to be talking about some of the numbers and looking ahead to the inevitable general election, uh, whenever that may come, to try and make sense of it all. And to do that, I'm joined as ever by fellow podcaster and co-host Leo Barassi. Leo, welcome.
1: Hello, Kieran. How much sleep have you had in the last week? Uh,
0: Not very much, which I think (laughs) should be revision for a general election. So general election plus newborn baby equals uh, an interesting, uh, to use that word, dynamic for me. Um, but hey, if you can get through that, you can get through anything, can't you? But no, he's all good. Um, so we're we're very, very over the moon with little Finn. Um, but yeah, looking forward to uh, cracking on with some uh, uh, election stuff now. Um, so I've been looking, looking at this last week, Leo, I don't even know where to start. I mean, what's your overall sort of take on the week?
1: uh somewhere between astonishment bafflement and hilarity i mean we i think it wasn't me who was the f- uh, first to point this out but the fact that a few years ago we called a budget that involved attacks on pasties anomaly shambles i think puts a lot of things into perspectives about what we thought politics could do and what it could look like so yeah i mean it's been gripping it's been um astonishing and you know i hate to say it but it's been quite fun
0: <laughs> it's been fun I mean, I I, I, I mean, it's quite difficult to see the wood from the trees a little bit, isn't it? Um, some of the stuff that we've uh, we've been waiting for this kind of coming election this autumn, and now it's not clear when that's going to be. Um, Boris Johnson and Dominic Cummings sort of came in with a sort of grand strategy. Um, it seems to be unraveling at face value, but then at the same time, we'll come on to this. You know, are the fundamentals of, of a general election campaign still there for the Conservatives? One of the one of the great ironies I, I thought of, of this week was how. The Conservative Party and Boris Johnson in the space of a week seem to have done what uh, the Corbyn leadership of the Labour Party would love to have done uh, with the Labour Party uh, in the last couple of years, which is kind of reshaped the, the Labour Party in their image in Parliament. I mean, one foul swoop. It looks like uh, the Conservative Party is doing that quite brutally, doesn't
1: it? Mm, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, the first, first thing to say, and let's come back to that, is I'm not sure I really agree with uh, the... the the view that you expressed, thats obviously quite widely held that the Johnson cummings strategy is, is falling apart and coming unstuck. But let's, let's come back to that. I'm, I mean, yeah, in terms of the suspensions, I mean, it's obviously, um, you know, dramatic <laughs> to say the least mm-hmm. to, uh, to, to, chuck out, uh, a sizable chunk, uh, uh, you know, a pr- uh, sort of what seven, eight percent of the, the parliamentary party in, in one go for, for not following the whip. um, i guess in public opinion terms it's is interesting this question of whether it's had cut through when you talk about sort of the wood for the trees and uh something like this is obviously a huge story in westminster and you know that's sort of why i feel like i can describe this fun because i think it's useful to think about this as as still something of a westminster story um and it's it's incredibly dramatic but um i think it's it's there's some signs from the polling that's that's just come out uh, that we'll talk about that this hasn't really struck the public yet as something that changes their views about the parties. Um, I think that said, we know very well that split parties do badly in elections. So at the point at which the uh, the public see the Tories as split, if indeed they do, that is likely to uh, to hurt their electoral chances. Um. But then, and then I guess the other the other aspect that I think is really significant uh, electorally is what those twenty one or twenty two or twenty three or whatever the number is at the moment of ex ex Tory MPs who haven't taken the whip now now Amber Rudd has joined them, um, what they do in the next election um, if if they now stand as independents in those constituencies. Um, and can call themselves something like independent conservatives or one nation conservatives or something that sort of keeps the conservative brand and makes them sound mainstream and moderate and retains the fact that they will have a name in their constituency. Uh, look, we know that personal votes are not a particularly strong thing. And we know that people often uh, when they stand as an en- do much less well than they might think that they do. But it's not necessarily a matter of them winning the seats so much as being able to disrupt the Tory vote. So if they're able to split the Tory vote and allow in Labour, Lib Dems, um, I don't think there are any Scots in there, as I recall. So um, one of them to win the seat instead then that obviously is hugely significant because if, the, if these this now means that there are uh, 21 22 23 Tory seats that the party can't hold in the next election then that obviously has a huge bearing on, on any, what happens is there any actual
0: evidence that they're going to do that I mean I've seen I've seen some polling around that this like today saying oh, what, what would happen if a one nation conservative party stood or whatever it might whatever you'd call it but you know, is, isn't that just like Westminster speculation I'm not sure that Amber Rudd and, well I the think I think it is that, that, Westminster
1: right? speculation but I think I mean it's it's West I'm not sure you would get any more than Westminster speculation at the moment when it's still independent Look, I guess I mean uh uh Soames presumably isn't I imagine that he'll be retiring I guess Ken Clark might retire but I think R- Rory Stewart has uh, has said that he's not going to retire that he's going to stand again I think Amber Rudd is saying that she is also going to stand and might stand as an independent so um yeah I think I guess it won't be all of them. It, it won't be that 20-plus, that perhaps, but uh, it certainly, it sounds initially, if they're not allowed back into the party somehow to stand as candidates, that there will be quite a few of them who do think that they need to stand as independents. And who knows? There might be more. I mean, there are obviously plenty of others who haven't been thrown out who basically agree with them, who might find if the Tory position in the election really is a very strongly Johnsonite no-deal position, then maybe there'll be others who feel that they need to do the same thing.
0: I do wonder without I mean, I don't want to pick on Amber Rudd, but I do I do wonder kind of how much cut through this sort of thing is going to have um, with the general public. I mean, it's going to be an important story because the newspapers are going to put it on the front pages as the Times have done today. Um, you know, if, if she was to even defect to the Lib Dems, let's say, I don't know if that's remotely something Amber Rudd would consider, it's hard to sort of tell, um, then that would be a sort of, in my view, that would be more significant where we're seeing Others who are maybe former change people, and we'll come on to a couple in particular later, where where you're seeing some of those people defect to the Lib Dems, that feels like that's got that can have lasting implications because you've got the infrastructure behind them in target seats and that sort of thing. Um, I guess the occasional independent might be might be significant, but I'm, I'm I'm just not sure how much two weeks now from now, four weeks from now, these big names they're gonna I feel like they're gonna fade into the macro political situation, which we're gonna sort of come to. Um, I mean, you mentioned earlier about the strategy falling apart, and you didn't didn't agree that Johnson's strategy was falling apart. I, I sort of, I know we're going to come onto the numbers a bit with voting intention later, and there's definitely an argument to be made for that. That fundamentally his message is still there; it's still sound. But this can't have been the way that him and Cummings thought this was going to go. Um, you've got a situation now where he doesn't really have any control over when a general election's going to be called, right? For for, for a very basic level. Um, they've got people like amber rudd resigning is creating lots of uh, lots of problems so i mean the government's one of the government's primary strategic um sort of uh, arsenal uh, tools in its arsenal that it usually has is it can set the agenda and i just don't feel that like the government's setting the agenda at the moment so yeah okay when the election eventually comes they have still got the same message but this can't be how they wanted it to go
1: yeah, look, I can't I can't disagree with that. Uh clearly the the day-to-day isn't isn't what you want. I think that's that's an understatement. You never you never want the Prime Minister's brother to resign and uh and st- stick the knife in. Um but I think look, if I if I was Dominic Cummings writing a valedictory blog post in 18 months' time about how he got everything right and how all the political commentators were complete idiots. And I think we can imagine that 30,000 words screwed. Um, what I think it will say is that everyone was paying way too much attention to, to stories and political commentators and Twitter were trying to one up uh, themselves, one another about, Um, how disastrous things were and how the wheels were coming off when fundamentally the strategy all along had been to fight an election saying that Johnson was a man who was going to negotiate hard with the EU with the threat of no deal hanging over them and he was the only one who was going to guarantee that he was going to take Britain out as quickly as possible. Okay, the date slipped a bit but guess what? It was Parliament's fault that the date slipped. Johnson was the one who was going to do it. Give, Give me a majority and I will do this thing that I've always promised. And I think, yeah, None of that has changed, right? It's still the election campaign that was, I think, quite obviously, and we were talking about this on the pod a few months ago, quite obviously, the strategy that that Johnson was going to want to fight. And I don't think that he's lost that yet. I think it's possible he could if Parliament plays it smartly. But right now, yeah, the day to day is bad for him, but the basic position that he wants to have when he goes in to fight an election, I think is still there for him.
0: I think the when I was looking back at the week before going on live with this pod was the, the most significant was the, the decision to suspend parliament, which really seems to have a galvanizing effect on on opponents of Johnson's strategy within the Tory party. Uh, as As well as within the opposition parties, and if you look at public opinion, we had a snap poll out last week which and, and it 's been kind of supported by other polling which has seen the same sort of picture which showed that thirty percent thought that um Johnson was right to suspend parliament. Uh, or stop it sitting. I think was the language we used. And um, 46% thought that was wrong. Now, I mean, I guess we'll come to the fact that Johnson doesn't need to motivate 50% of the public to support him to win a general election. But nevertheless, um, in the court of public opinion, that doesn't seem to have gone down that well. So on the Cummings point that oh, people don't care about process. Well, maybe they're not going to be like taking to the streets in the millions about it. I mean, there have been some protests, but I'm not quite sure they support what's been happening either. And in what's happened in Parliament is that they, they've lost complete control of the agenda again without without repeating um, the point that I made. So I feel like from that, that when the history books are written, um, difficult thing to predict, that suspension of Parliament, the decision to do that, which I must admit, personally, I, I, I was surprised by. I didn't... When when, when they were talking about proroguing Parliament back in June, July, I didn't really see that happening, So, but it did. Um, that seems to have been the kind of set of a chain reaction, doesn't it? So that feels like the most... Significant part, and not least because of this idea that, well, you can't trust Boris Johnson. That's something that the opposition are going to try and embed within the public minds. Um, and I know that, my, I know myself, I've said on this pod before from focus groups with Tory voters, there is a sense of he's not particularly trustworthy. So, um, yeah, it's all a bit up in the air. I suppose, yes, the general election campaign will be what it will be, but now how it gets there is much less clear, right? I mean, one thing we should probably talk about is. October the thirty first, do or die. I mean, doesn't sound like he's he's going to get that, does it? And, and and by and by do or die there, I mean obviously leaving the European Union by October the thirty first. I mean, that doesn't seem like it's going to happen, right?
1: Um, yeah, probably not. And again, I can I can see that that's not ideal. I think, yeah, okay. There's been a galvanizing effect, it's sure from the proroguing parliament. I guess the logic that I can see for why it made sense for Johnson and Cummings to do that was. Um, what they needed to do was for Parliament to force them into a general election. So they needed to make it look like they were doing their best to push the EU into negotiated, negotiating a deal and Parliament wouldn't let them and they therefore reluctantly had to call, call the general election. So they, they had to goad to Parliament into doing it. Now, uh, what they couldn't have was... A deal that Johnson had negotiated, that he then took to Parliament and and had to um, get approval or or rejection of that deal, because the chances are that deal would have probably looked quite like May's deal, uh, and so would have put off put off a lot of um, uh, a lot of Brexiteers, or it would have um, looked more more hard, and so would have been. Uh, uh, um, uh, Unpalatable to Remainers, so there would have been something specific on the table. So ideally, they had to be go Parliament into a general election before there was a deal on the table. I think proroguing Parliament and um, the, the the story that was given to um, uh, to Alex Wickham at uh, BuzzFeed uh, about all the nasty things they were going to do to Parliament if uh, 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 if if uh, it didn't call an election was, I think, all part of the strategy of just trying to get an election called on them as quickly as possible. And I think if they hadn't done that stuff, then the the difficulty for Johnson would if he'd had to go ahead with the negotiation and come back with something specific, which would put him in a much worse position than he would have been in if he was able to, to fight an election before he'd done any negotiating.
0: So if we, let's talk about this delay point then. So I guess a, a key consideration on the strategy of all of this is going to be Is the opposition making a mistake by being seen to drag out a general election happening? Now, for the benefit of listeners, I do understand that the line is, can't trust Johnson, legislation needs to pass to prevent no deal, and so on and so forth. But the the consequences of this is obviously that Boris Johnson is asking for a general election, the opposition parties are stopping him... And we're not quite sure when one's going to happen. And there are some convincing arguments, actually, that if it doesn't happen in October, November, it's quite tight because of Parliament being suspended. And an election could be in December. Who knows? Maybe even early 2020 if uh, people decide they don't fancy an election in December, around Christmas time. So what what do we think about that? Because it seems to me... I'm looking at this and thinking the longer the opposition drags out an election happening, the more time Johnson has to say look, they're, they're stopping you have a say, dear Voser um, They're stopping me deliver Brexit. He, he can reinforce that message. But then other people will say, no, because he won't he won't have delivered do or die on October the 31st. The Brexit party will uh, capitalise on that and that's really going to hurt him and he's going to look incompetent, etc. I, I lean more towards the former on that. I think the longer this goes on without an election, I think it helps him. But what, what do you reckon? So, yeah,
1: I go along with that. Uh, I think the the dilemma is it becomes increasingly difficult for the opposition to justify why they're delaying beyond october i think you can make this argument um the 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 delay is because johnson really wants to crash out with no deal and this is the only way to stop him i'm not sure what argument they would even plan on using publicly um and you know i think obviously the the line that that the, the Tories are uh, trying to play and have been pushing through the media as hard as they possibly can is this idea that Corbyn is a coward for uh, not going with an election. I don't think that's that's working at all yet. And I think it's, it's a bit of a pointless line because at some point when it's an election, he'll have agreed to it and, and it'll end. But it probably is true that if he carries on for longer and longer, then it's really not obvious why he's doing it and what the justification is. I mean, ultimately, I think the reason or the uh, the the as well as forcing Johnson to go past October the 31st, the real benefit for the opposition, if they can do it, which I'm not sure they're succeeding in, is to force Johnson to go to Brussels and try and negotiate something. I think that's the real win. If they can say uh, the election needs to uh, happen far enough away that Johnson has something on the table, because otherwise he's just going to uh, come back and pretend that he's going to negotiate something and we've got no idea what it is. Obviously, the difficulty for the opposition in doing that is they're in the same position. They can't really say that because it's not clear what they would negotiate. Yeah, I'm not sure I buy but it either
0: because it's uh, surely Johnson's line is, as he's already kind of touched on, is, well, that the negotiations are dead now because Parliament's killed no deal. So, sorry.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, on, honestly, I agree. And that's that's why that's why I think it was... A mistake to have ruled out no deal before Johnson negotiated. But I suspect, I'm not sure about this, but I suspect that's what Johnson what Johnson and Cummings' strategy was indeed to do, um, to force Parliament to bring that blocking of no deal before the negotiations rather than to allow it to happen afterwards, because that allows them to say this. I think if they had given time for Parliament to uh, block no deal after the negotiations. That's what they would have done and it would have uh, weakened Johnson's hand. So, yeah, I think that the proroguing successfully ruled out that best path for parliament.
0: The the Brexit party piece, though, is going to be highly significant, isn't it? Because when I I look at the numbers and I mean, sometimes the simplest narratives are are, are useful and, and, and are correct. So if I was looking at some of the numbers from this weekend from voting intention polls, and the Conservative vote share was anywhere between 29, I think, so, I think with Servation, I think that might not have been this weekend, I think it might have been earlier last week. But some of the most recent polls that were out, um, Servation had the Tories at 29, right up to YouGov having the Tories at 35, and Opinion had them at 35 uh, this weekend as well. And... Basically, the pollsters, you govern Opinion that have the Tories at 35 had the Brexit party at 12 and 13, respectively, whereas the polls that had the gap much narrower, for example, um, let me see, so Servation I mentioned, which had the uh, Conservatives at 29, had the Brexit party at 17. And there's a, it's not a perfect line. So, for example, Delta poll have the Tories at 31 and a Brexit party at 13. Uh, panel base had the Tories at 31, the Brexit Party at 15. So there are there is some noise in there, but generally speaking, the the the, the closer the Tory Party vote is to the mid 30s, the the weaker, and um, the Brexit Party vote is. So this is a, this this whole dynamic about what the Brexit Party vote does in a general election, and how it re, how Nigel Farage and his team react to the October 31st deadline being missed if it is is it is clearly highly significant isn't it and I saw, I saw I saw a lot of fuss yesterday about Nigel Farage saying well he was willing to do a pact with the conservatives but that pact was based on um essentially the Tories following a no-deal Brexit wasn't it so I can't see I, I might be wrong but I can't see that being the official policy that we are going to do a no-deal Brexit right it's going to be oh we'll, we'll, we'll basically we'll threaten one and get a good deal so mm-hmm. i'm not sure yeah, yeah. i'm not sure i'm as convinced by this idea that farage is going to do a deal uh, with the with, with yeah all the well Tories, i think one of the, the other are. things
1: that was going around is a suggestion that he would uh stand stand candidates down in the seats of i think it was tory mps who had consistently opposed May's deal, and there were um a few dozen of those and i think that looked like it was going to be pretty insignificant because they were all pretty safe tourist seats pretty much anyway so mm. um you know the, the the might the in that case there would be a deal there would be some standing down of candidates but actually the overall effect of it would be insignificant
0: yeah it's gonna be an important dynamic Interesting, I, I, as a, i want to go on to the voting intention numbers but we talk about a lot don't we about um things cutting free with the general public i've got to say on facebook which is kind of where it's not really a political thing for me. It's all friends and family and stuff. The one, the one bit of politics that did seem to happen, uh, cut through a lot this week, was the Jacob Rees-Mogg thing, right? I mean, that, I, I don't know. I'm not saying it has any lasting political implications, but that I mean, we talk about what. What do the general public who aren't political notice that seemed that whole meme thing did seem to cut through a lot. Yeah,
1: and I think I guess the significance of something like that. Um, it's it's obviously not persuading any Brexit voters that the Tories don't stand, stand for them. But what it's doing is, it's a bit like the ivory ban last time and fox hunting stuff. It reminds Lib Dem or Green wavering voters, remain voters, that the Tories are the enemy and they need to buck their ideas up and make sure that whoever they vote for is a party that is going to get the Tories out. So um, it might be the kind of thing that just pushes up the Labour vote a bit because, or it helps Labour have a squeeze message that the only thing that matters is beating the Tories.
0: Yeah, and you can imagine it being used in—it's um, well, going to be used, isn't it—in campaigning material during a general mm. election. You know, Jacob Rees-Mogg there on the bench. Um, mm. I hate to be that guy. I think he's listening to the speaker, isn't he? Like, as in the speaker in the chair, um, as in the, so. Because it wasn't there. um There was a Tory MP. I'm going to be so unpopular saying this, but I'm not trying to defend him too much but wasn't there a Tory MP last yeah, I know, year I who, know what you mean where everyone who, who, thought
1: that he was asleep but actually he he had hearing problems and he was like ly- lying next to the speaker right
0: but by the speaker we're obviously not talking about John Burko. obviously we're talking yeah, about like in yeah. the chairs in, in, yeah. in the benches there are speakers because you you can't hear what the person at the back is saying
1: so, yeah I mean essentially like my first reaction to to seeing him do that was I I generally find myself getting uncomfortable when I sit down in a chair that's not very nicely designed for more than 20 minutes, and I end up wanting to stand up and change position. I just can't really get comfortable. And to be honest, those benches don't look especially comfortable. They don't. They don't have arms. the The, the seat looks quite small. I bet it's quite uncomfortable to sit there for a long time. I bet that's almost exactly how I would want to sit if I had to be there for several hours. So I, kind of, I initially <laughs> felt a bit sympathetic, but obviously my reaction was uh, was not not the mass reaction. I guess the point is if it had been some random Labour MP that no one has heard of, then it probably wouldn't have had any kind of reaction. Is these things matter when they play into a narrative that people are looking for already. And, you know, there almost couldn't have been a worse person to have done that than than Rees-Mogg.
0: Yeah. Let's talk a bit about a general election. And, and okay, with all the caveats that we don't quite know when it's coming and all all the rest of it, but let's let's talk about the polls and, and what we think the dynamics are that are at play. So I mentioned some of the polls over the weekend there tory lead ranging from anywhere from 14 points to 3 points. So, YouGov at the top end of 14 points, Delta Poll with 3 points. And there is a there, there is a there is a point here that I, I make quite com uh, quite frequently which again, if it needs to be said is not a dig at YouGov, but needs to be um, people need to consider when they're looking at the polls, which is that YouGov tend to produce numbers the most frequently. Uh, I think that's fair to say in terms of voting attention. Yeah. um and and when so what we've got to be careful about is when you go have a particular I don't want to say narrative because that sounds like it's like the company's opinion but when they have a particular view of the race because of what their polls are saying um that can dominate what people think is happening because it's the most common. Yeah, and as,
1: as we've talked about before, that partly this is because YouGov do a particular thing with waiting to pass to actual past votes of their respondents rather yeah. than recalled past vote, which is different from others. So not to say right or wrong, but just yeah. that they they treat numbers in different ways from other um, from other agencies. And it may be
0: it may be so to use the examples this weekend. It may very well be that YouGov are correct and Delta Poll are not, with with Delta Poll saying the gaps three points. I just think when we're reading the polls, we should reflect on the fact that if Delta poll uh, were producing numbers much more frequently that showed the race much closer, the whole media narrative would be totally, um, totally Mm. different. But I mean, what do we what do we make of these headline numbers then, Leo? Because I mean, you were saying at the beginning that actually seems all right for Johnson, despite all the shenanigans in Westwoodster.
1: Yeah, possibly. I'm not sure I would say it quite like that on the basis of numbers. So essentially, they haven't moved much over the last week or two. Um, if anything, they've moved slightly in the Tories' favour, which obviously feels surprising given the political news that's going on. But really, I think what that's reflecting is that most people are not paying a huge amount of attention to politics. Probably what most people are getting is some kind of garbled sense that there's there's chaos, uh, things are complicated and messy, um, and politicians that once again are struggling to get Brexit through. But it's really important to not let our, um, our sense that the public don't pay attention to politics blind us to the fact that when an election happens, people do start paying attention to politics and people look up, think about the parties and decide what they think about them then. So if when the music stops, uh, the parties are still in the kind of positions that they're in at the moment with the Tories infighting and split and, and throwing people out to the parties and... Labour more united than they've seemed to have been for quite a long time. Then I do think that that would influence public opinion quite significantly.
0: Yeah, and I, th- I was looking, I was trying to make sense of all these numbers earlier myself, and I think that I go back and forth on things. But what my key takeaway at the moment is that the key thing that's going to hap- going to determine where we go in the next couple of months, is going to be attitudes to Jeremy Corbyn. And I'm not saying that as some, one of these pundits that sort of says, oh, the, the government's falling apart. The real story here is the opposition. But, because <laughs> I, I do cringe when I see that. But the, the point is, at the moment, you've got a situation where the Conservatives are ahead mm-hmm. in the polls to varying degrees. And the, the strategy from Boris Johnson is clear. The Remain vote is much more divided than the Leave vote. And the question will be for the Labour Party, can they squeeze some of that Remain vote back to them? So what do I mean by that? So I was looking, uh, people that follow me on Twitter would have seen this, but I was looking at where the pollsters were saying that the vote from different parties from 2017 was going. And um, there's lots of numbers on my Twitter feed you can look at, but I mean, the the headline is that from about 20%, give or take, maybe slightly less, slightly more, depending on the pollster you look at, about one in five Labour voters from 2017 are now saying they'll vote for the Liberal Democrats. Um, Conversely, anywhere between... One uh, percent and eleven percent of Labour voters from twenty seventeen are now saying they vote Brexit Party. So it does go both ways. But the point is, we saw in the European elections, we saw in the local elections, the Labour vote fracturing. Uh, the Labour Remain votes were fracturing to different places. And we also see um, that Jeremy Corbyn's personal leadership ratings are dreadful. And I could reel off all sorts of numbers for you. Um, we've said at Ipsos Mori a couple of months ago that his, his leader, his satisfaction ratings were the worst of any leader of the opposition. Uh, in our series so that's going back to uh, michael Foot. um so obviously extremely unpopular at the moment so you've got these twin dynamics and uh, sorry and as an aside um 52 chose johnson as the most preferred prime minister versus 27 percent choosing corbyn in our most recent voting intention poll back in sort of august so you've got these two dynamics where the remain vote is splintering jeremy corbyn is unpopular can he turn that around um, in a general election campaign. He's done it once before, so you know his supporters are perfectly entitled to say he can do it again. But that's going to be a key question. And I think one of the most striking poll findings, if I was going to have such a thing on this as poll finding of the week, um, it would be, um, I think it was from Servation, was it, that said, um, if you had to choose, 31% of the public would choose Jeremy Corbyn as Prime Minister, but 52%, if they had to choose, would choose a no-deal Brexit. That has to sort of change a bit. Now, that's not necessarily... That, that 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 Those numbers there, 31% versus 52, are not necessarily going to play out in voting intention terms, but Corbyn's going to have to really step into the fray and improve his ratings and squeeze that remain vote if he's going to narrow the gap um, with the Tories. But it is plausible, and I suppose the point I would make as a word of caution for people looking at the current polls, where which has the Tory party on mid-30s or early 30s, is you know, Labour can get to there too, I think. And even if they got to a situation where the Conservatives were on, let's say, 35, to pick numbers out of thin air a little bit, and Labour were on 30, they're on 28 with Delta poll today, um, that could be another hung parliament. So all I would say to people is that it's very clear what Boris Johnson's strategy is. I do take the point about that actually the argument he's going to make in a general election hasn't changed this week, But if the events of this week can lead to Corbyn improving his poll ratings and um, squeezing the Remain vote, Big If, I appreciate, we might end up in a situation after a general election where either Boris Johnson doesn't have a majority and is kind of back where he started, or the Conservatives can't form a government.
1: Yeah, I guess there are two or possibly three different dynamics going on, aren't there? Um, Which which relates to the, the popularity of the leaders. So... There's there's what do what do Remain voters do? So um, what what do people who are quite strongly Remain to the point where what they really want as their number one ish, issue in the election um, is is to uh, to stop uh, stop Brexit, or have, an, have another referendum, whatever? Do they um, do they vote tactically for whichever of Labour, Lib Dem, SNP plied are willing to do that and able to do that, and I think the popularity of Corbyn is important there. So um, there are there are certainly seats where that are very Remainy, um, where the where a Remain for a Remain party to win, there has to be an element of uh, of tactical voting, um, and you know, obviously, notably in seats where Labour could potentially win. Um, that means Lib Dem voters oftenly being prepared to vote for Corbyn. So a city like Putney, um, um, where I think about something like one in five Lib Dem voters would have to vote Labour for um, for Labour to take it from Tories. Obviously, Corbyn's popularity is going to be hugely important there. Um, and then another factor, of course, that's, that's going to play out in those seats is what do Conservative Remainers do? So... Uh, in quite remaining uh Tory-held seats, um, do they do they stay with the Tories or do they go to another party? So I'll think about a seat like Tatton. as quite interesting for that. So a seat in the Northwest, um, George Osborne's old seat. Uh, I think it's it's Esther McVeigh now, isn't it? Um, and uh, those uh, somewhat older of us will remember it as a seat in 97 that uh, Martin Bell won from Neil Hamilton. Um, now, that's a seat with a large Tory majority getting on for 15,000 over Labour. But it's also quite a Remainy seat. Now, uh, what do the Tory Remainers do in that seat? Again, are they willing to go to Labour um, or are they only really willing to go to Lib Dem? Now, I feel like probably a seat like that isn't really winnable for Labour. But if if the Tory vote really collapses, um, if most Tory remainers don't feel able to stay with the party, then that's a seat with a comfortable majority that Labour could potentially look at winning. Um, and then the last, which I guess is less of a Corbyn question and more of a, um, a, a Brexit question, is what happens to the Leave voters? Do um, do the Brexit Party stick with Labour? Sorry, stick with uh, stick with their own party, or do they um, go to uh, go to the Tories? And obviously, that that will play uh, come down to things like are there electoral pacts? Um, how no deal is Johnson willing to be? And that you know that obviously then determines what happens in the the sort of the seats in the East West Midlands, Yorkshire and Humber, um, Northwest, Northeast um, that are Tory targets, Labour held seats where. Um, Uh, strong remain sorry leave voting swing to to the Tories could could move those
0: yeah I mean one of the things we were talking about off air and uh, about seats it's just going to be wild isn't it some of the different seats and different um different results locally I mean we we always talk about uniform national swing not being particularly useful I mean I think that's an understatement when we look at some of these numbers and this is why you know I do have I sort of tweeted tongue in cheek last night um people that were replying to me saying you know this will definitely happen when there's an election um the Tories will do this or Labour will do this and I thought well if you, if you can lend me your crystal ball that'd be really valuable for the next three months at work um <laughs> you know I was looking at the, the seat that I've moved to recently I've recently moved to Enfield Southgate um moving out to the sticks joking um and uh Labour took that seat off the Tories uh, in 2017 51 percent 50 well 52 percent rounding up the vote Uh, of the vote versus 43% for the Tories. Uh, Big, big swing uh, to Labour there uh, of 9.7%. So part of the sort of London story of the last election. But the Lib Dems only got um, 4% of the vote. Um, So the question then becomes, well, what happens if the Lib Dems do significantly better, which you'd imagine they will, could the Mm. Tories take it back on the basis of... um, uh, of, of Labour losing votes to the Lib Dems. And then, you know, maybe they, the Tories stay where they were on 42% of the vote, but still win the seat. However, I mean, one of the things we were talking about off air as well is that the, the Tories will lose seats to Lib, uh, lose votes to Lib Dems there as well. So I, I think that where I, I'm not projecting it as such, but I would imagine the most likely outcome is a Labour hold here. But it's wild. It's, it's completely crackers yeah, in terms yeah. of how I it's going to mean Well, play. of course,
1: one, one of the other things that we barely even talked about is that unlike 2017, this time people will genuinely be talking about Corbyn as a possible, even likely prime minister. So um, in that in that seat, people will be deciding, should I vote to make Corbyn prime minister? And it'll be a real question that wasn't there last time. Um, and again, that's where his popularity will be hugely important, right?
0: Yeah, and I think there's less poll finding about Some variation of Corbyn and a referendum versus Johnson and no deal or the the potential for no deal. How you word that question is going to be significant. That's going to be really important, I think. And it's not going to tell you. So we talked about that salvation. I think it was salvation, that salvation figure earlier and how um, the majority prefer no deal to Corbyn. Okay, that's not going to tell you necessarily the result because it's all about vote share versus seats. But that is—you you spoke there, Leo—about how that's going to be a, a consideration people are, are giving um, in, in their individual seats. Well, it's, it's going to be um, a highly significant consideration, isn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, um, and I mean, as as you say, it's just like I think we've just got to be. Uh... We got a bit uh, humble, I think, is probably the right word for this in terms of the predictability and how much we can know, particularly now, about about what's going to turn out. And, you know, you can, you can come up with scenarios that are wildly different from one another and reasonably plausible. I mean, I was I was looking at uh, a seat, uh, Finchley and Golders Green, um, which is uh, North London. Um, it's a very Romani seat, um, seat, seat that my brother lives in. And um, you know this is a Tory-Labour close marginal. Uh, it's Tory leads or Tory held um, with a lead of um, just under two thousand, about fifteen hundred or so. Um, and it's apparently the seat that Luciana Berger is thinking of standing in as a uh, as a Lib Dem candidate. Um, Lib Dems are uh, twenty-two thousand below, twenty-one thousand below the, the winning party. Uh, And it's, I mean, it's, it's wild that, um, you know, someone who presumably wants to be an MP is looking at a seat like that as winnable. It's very, it's very Romani. And the other factor is it's very Jewish. Now, does that mean that she could win it? I think probably not. But the fact that this is even a a serious consideration that the Lib Dems think that they might be able to overturn a 22,000 majority to come from a very, very distant thirds to win the seat, just, says how entirely unknowable what's going to come up is. Yeah,
0: and there's a lot of people. Chuck Ramona's another one, isn't he? Who's, is it Cities in Westminster he's standing in?
1: Yeah, Cities so in Westminster again. I mean, similar. So, I mean, it's sort of the layout is the same, but but um, the gap's a bit smaller because it's actually a much much smaller seat. Um, just uh, looks like there's, there were only about 39,000 votes cast in it last time. So the Tories first, Labour second, Lib Dems a diff, distant third, 14,000 gap between Tories and Lib Dems. Only 28% leave, though, last time, according to Chris Hanretti's stats. So 72% remain. Could the Lib Dems win it? You don't expect to see a party coming from 4,000 to beat a party on 18,000, but... Who knows? I mean, mm-hmm. if that Labour vote collapses, if presumably, I mean, statistically, a lot of those Tory voters in 2017 must have been Tory Remainers, you've got to bet that a lot of them would be interested by 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 but will the Labour vote really collapse and swing into line behind behind Trucker?
0: We're being a, we're being a bit liberal metropolitan twats, aren't we? Here talking about London a lot. So I mean, let's uh, let's uh, let's move further north. I mean, one of the things that really one of the areas that really does need to one of the countries that needs to be looked at very closely, I think, is Scotland. It seems. Mm. I mean, there was a poll. I think it was YouGov. Which um, uh, included some seat projections off the back of it, which suggested that the Conservatives would. And um, obviously, Ruth Davidson has resigned, so that's a, a highly significant um, north of the border. Uh, there, was, I think it, I think it projected three Conservative holds, held seats rather than eleven. And um, there's a real mm-hmm. possibility yeah. that Tories lose every seat. Um,
1: yep. So yeah. I'm not sure there's actually been any polling in Scotland since since Davidson went, has there? But you've got to assume she was a major factor in propping up their numbers. I think the combination of that, of um the the strong um leave move of the of the the Tories, I think, you know, it's got to, it seems very likely. I mean, there's you know, just looking at the amongst the most remaining uh seats in, in the whole of the UK that are the most easily winnable 15 remain seats, uh, six of them are in Scotland. Um, and you've got to think that, I mean, the Tories are surely going to lose all of those quite easily and then probably the rest. So you're already starting from a, from a major swing of um, from the leave block to the remain block, just with that alone. And, you know, that's really ramping up the challenge of how many seats the Tories then have to win.
0: Yeah, I and mean, I'll give you the final word, but I think that to summarise what, we, what we've what sort we of learned in the last week or so, and what we've talked about on this podcast, I think, you know, what dynamics are we looking at? Well, I think I, I would, because people keep asking this, uh, both in sort of DMs and, and on, on Twitter. I think that, look, first of all, a good place to start is always the macro sort of message, the macro situation, which is, okay, what does, what does the headline national voting intention figures say in, in the UK, but also in Scotland as well, and particularly? And Wales too, when it comes out. I mean, Roger Scully has a series there with YouGov as well, which is worth watching. And um, There are some sort of leave uh, areas there um, which can which can have a significant impact on the Labour vote. Um, but yeah, we, yeah, we want to see, is, is this Conservative vote holding up at around the 35% mark, or is there or are there signs that it's deflating a little bit um, and and leaking as a result of what's going on uh, in Westminster at the moment can and can Labour and and Corbyn you know improve and so there's that macro sort of situation I think related to that I would be watching Corbyn's poll ratings are there any signs that they improve Um, I'm not expecting to see big movements before a general election campaign itself Um, but it is worth it is worth watching um, and yeah, yeah. beyond that, you just, like I say, I think humble is the right word. You have to think about what are going to be the local um, seat projections. So on the one hand, there are all sorts of different conflicting dynamics. Scotland's an important one. Um, what the Lib Dems do in specific areas is important too. So predicting what's going to happen uh, if the election is close is going to be really difficult. Um, at the same time, if we do go into a general election with the Tories 15, 20 points ahead, then you do have to sort of say, okay, I know that was squeezed before, it might be squeezed again, but ultimately, if the popular vote is won by the Conservative Party by 15-odd points, the geography will take care of itself. So there is a certain degree to which, you know, watch the macro message, and then obviously we have to be very, very careful. uh, If if the poll lead for the Tories is around five points or so, or, you know, five to 10 points, what happens locally is going to be really important. If it narrows anything more than that, then I think the Tories are going to be in real trouble. But um, look, final word to you, Leo, because we need to wrap this up, I think.
1: Yeah, I think the only the only thing that I would add to that is, uh, in terms of stuff to watch now, is um, the to- the Tories will be trying to position themselves very, very clearly that Johnson is trying to negotiate the best deal for a swift exit from the EU. And the opposition will need to paint that as all he's trying to do is crash out of the EU without, with out a deal, which would lead to disastrous consequences. They need to successfully puncture the idea that Johnson is going to lead to a negotiation. I think if they can do that, then Johnson will be able to unite the hard Brexiteers. But there's a pretty low ceiling on that. And if that's the case, then I think the the Tories would be in enormous difficulties. But... If he can fight an election on, on the terms, I am the only one who's going to take Britain out of the EU and I'm going to negotiate a great deal, but we don't need to talk about what the details are, then I, then his position is strong.
0: Yes, so there we there we have it, folks. A bit of a longer podcast than usual, but we have been away for a little while, and it's, it's certainly lots going on. Um, as ever, um, if you like what you hear, please do share us on social media, give us a positive rating on iTunes or other podcast apps, or help share the spread the word about the podcast and help uh, grow our audience, which we very much appreciate. But for now, stay tuned for more episodes in the coming weeks.